You're listening to Turbo Youth on Redshift with me, Jonathan Frischer. And me, Ben Philippin. On each podcast, we will share with you reviews of films, books, places and gadgets. With challenges, jokes and homework tips along the way, this is a fun podcast to make your day. Coming up this week, we interview Dr Kieran Mullen, the MP for Crew and Nantwich. We make meatballs with pasta for the boys' bake-off. And last, but certainly not least, we have our weekly STEM challenge. Now it is time for... The STEM challenge! With STEM ambassador Chris Ridge from Air Products. Over to you, Chris. Hi guys, it's Chris Ridge from Air Products here. I'm just checking in. So this one I'm going to set this week is the floating water challenge. Now this might seem like a magic trick, but it is science and it's really good fun to give it a go. You don't need much many um, much stuff to, to try it out. And when you were out of lockdown, it's one to amaze family and friends with. So we're going to, the floating water challenge really sets out to to, to determine whether you can really fill a glass of water, turn it upside down, but the water not spill out. Now, do you think that's possible? Well, give this a try. First of all, get a glass and get a, a, a piece of card or a playing card, something that fits nicely over the mouth of the glass and completely covers it. Then fill the glass with water, just leaving a little space of air at the top. Put the card on top of the the mouth of the cup or glass. Then with one hand on the card and one hand on the glass, turn it upside down. Now, this is the bit where uh, you're going to get nervous. And make sure you're doing this over a bath, over a sink, outside, somewhere that isn't going to get soaking wet if this goes wrong for whatever reason. Take your hand away. Miraculously, as if by magic, the water should stay in place and so should the card. Why do you think that works? Well, give it a go this week and then next week I'll tell you the science behind why it works and you can tell me if you've been successful in giving it a try. Anyway, good luck with giving it a go. So Chris, this sounds like a really cool new STEM challenge. Thank you for setting this. We have both tried it and we all you need is a glass of water filled up and then simply a piece of corrugated card. If you use paper, I don't think it works. Well, I did it with just some, um, just from cereal boxes, so you can use that as well. Yeah, it works by, well, Chris Chris will tell you how it works after. But, so you fill the glass up and you put the cardboard on top. You flip the glass upside down and hold the cardboard on tight for maybe about 10 seconds. Take the cardboard off, but don't take take your hand off, and the cardboard will stick because it's kind of like a suction, and that helps it to stick. And going off the floating water, but if you say you've spilled a drink and it's on a little coaster at the table, and there's a little ring of water, and the glass has been sitting there for quite a bit, you can lift it up, and sometimes the coaster sticks to the bottom and that's the same reaction that happens with the floating water so how did your go 
Jonathan? So mine went really well. So like Ben said, I thought it was really interesting what he said about the coaster when you spill a drink. And just to let you know, it might not work the first time, but for me, it worked the first time. It worked um, the first time and the second time. And then after that, it didn't work again. So don't get worried if it doesn't work, The if it doesn't work for more than one time but I thought this was a really fun experiment and yes yeah, it was just really really cool I sent you the floating water challenge that was filling a glass with water putting a bit of card on top turning it upside down and the water should stay in place and so should the card did it work I hope so I hope you uh, didn't flood your your living room but how did it work why did it work well the answer is right in front of your nose. It's in fact the air that we breathe. The air around us, the air molecules exert pressure on everything. That is, at sea level, an atmospheric pressure of 14.7 pounds per square inch. So your, But your body's used to it, so it doesn't feel that pressure. You don't notice that pressure, but it's always there. When you first turn the glass upside down, the pressure of the air inside the cup and the pressure outside of the air, outside of the cup, in the air, is the same. They're equal. If you look closely, however, you'll notice that just a little bit of water will have leaked out of the cup between the card and the cup. This happens because the force of gravity naturally pulls down on the water and some of the water escapes. That causes the volume of air, now at the top of the glass, to increase ever so slightly. But the actual amount of air there remains the same, and therefore, with an increased volume, but the same weight of air, you have a reduced pressure, a very partial vacuum. Now, naturally, the air outside of the cup, the glass, now being a higher pressure, is going to try and get to the, um, get to the, the air at the volume at the top of the glass, within the glass. But that then means it's exerting the pressure on the card, keeping it in place, and therefore keeping the water from, from flowing out of the glass. The water creates um, an airtight seal between the rim of the cup and the card, and that's what makes it possible. You couldn't just do this with an empty glass. Also, you, you have to have enough water in there to, to form that seal. When the seal is broken, even a tiny bit, so if you've got a needle and just stuck it between the card and the, and the cup, then the air pressure is going to equalise, gravity will work again, and all of that water is going to come flooding out. This is why I recommended not doing it inside, or certainly somewhere that you don't mind the water flowing to. So, that's the, uh, that's the, the science behind it. And if you want to test the theory, if you use a plastic cup, or a plastic glass, or a paper cup, do exactly the same experiment, but then with a needle or something sharp, you can put a little hole in the top once you've turned it upside down and that will cause the pressures to equalise and the, the water will come flowing out again. So I hope you enjoyed that experiment and I'm going to set the next one very soon. So Jonathan, how did the STEM challenge go? Um, thanks Ben. So the STEM challenge that Chris set two weeks ago, because we, we didn't do it last week, we did it two weeks ago, he set 
the spinning egg challenge where you spin two eggs so you boil one egg you don't boil the other one you spin them and the one that doesn't have the um the one that hasn't been boiled will um, carry on spinning when you stop them so mine went really well i did it a few times and i found it worked best when you did it on a flat surface so i tried doing it on some other surfaces and it didn't work you have to do it on a really flat surface and it worked really well so when i didn't do it on a flat surface it didn't work they both just stopped and that was it so any listeners that have tried it email studio at redshiftonline.org and let us know how you got on with the STEM challenge. Ben, how did you get on with yours? Well, I had boiled the egg and I had another egg a few days before, but I'd forgotten which was which. Um, So the theory turned out correct and I managed to find which was the boiled egg and which wasn't because the non-boiled egg kept spinning because the liquid inside keeps moving, making the egg to keep spinning. And I tried it on a number of surfaces. It doesn't work on carpet. I did it on, I think um, it was, I did it on like a marble type surface, like your kitchen desktop surface and it worked well so here's Chris Ridge now to tell you how it works. Hey guys it's Chris Ridge from Air Products here just checking in on the STEM challenge that I've been setting you and last week I set you the spinning egg challenge that was to determine whether you could tell the difference between a hard-boiled egg and a raw egg without cracking it open. Did you give it a go? What did you think of the experiment? Well, you should be able to tell them apart now. The hard-boiled egg, when you spin it, should stop when you put your finger on top. The raw egg should continue to spin. Hard-boiled eggs should be easier to start spinning and easier to stop. The raw egg should be harder to start spinning and keep turning a little bit, and it should keep turning a little bit, as I say, when you put your finger on. And the hard egg, when you keep spinning it really fast, should spin on its top. Why is this? Well, the hard-boiled eggs are solid inside. The raw egg is liquid inside. So the raw liquid inside the egg slides about and it stops the egg from spinning really fast. When you stop the hard-boiled egg, it stops quickly. When you stop the raw egg, it keeps turning a little bit because you've only stopped the shell. The liquid inside still has that energy to turn. The hard-boiled egg will spin on its end if you spin it fast enough. The egg saves energy by spinning on its end and making a smaller circle. I hope you enjoyed that experiment and now when you're in the kitchen and you don't know whether an egg is a raw one or a hard-boiled one, you can find out by spinning them or by spinning it, see what happens and you can enjoy that egg. Thanks guys. Thank you very much, Chris, for those STEM challenges. We hope to hear at the end of the podcast for our next STEM challenge. Now we are going to be interviewing Dr. Kieran Mullen, the MP for Crew and Nantwich. So did you grow up in Crew and Nantwich? No, I, I grew up in Birmingham 
uh, yeah, I had the privilege of growing up in Birmingham. I think it's a, it's a great city. Uh, I grew up in a just a semi-detached house near to the hospital where my mum worked as a as a nurse, and my dad was a, a policeman in the area as well. Um. So the second question: Before you were a doctor, did you have any other jobs? Uh, well, I've, I've worked since I was sixteen. I was brought up with the kind of ethic that sixteen pocket money was stopped. So you had to go and go and make your own money. So I've done a lot of jobs from that point of view. I've worked in uh, clothes shops, I've worked in pubs, I've worked in bars, all those kind of odds and sobs jobs. So I'd encourage, uh, encourage yourselves and, and your listeners, if you're young, it never does you any harm to, to get a part-time job and start getting that work ethic and knowing about turn up to work on time and that kind of thing. And then uh, whilst I was in a doctor for a long time, at the same time I did other things too. So uh, I, I was kind of interested in uh, how do you improve the whole NHS? How do you make it better for patients? So I ended up working for a, for a charity for patients, for, for example. And, and then more recently, I was working for uh, an organisation that compares hospitals, trying to find who, who's really good at doing something so that we can learn from those hospitals and, and, and share it across the whole NHS. Okay. So, so why did you want to be a doctor? Well... As I mentioned earlier, uh, my mum was a nurse and so she would often talk about uh, what, what she did in her job when I was growing up. So I had that, being exposed to that as a young person made me interested in in, in healthcare. And uh, it sounds really cheesy, but it, you know, you feel like you want to do something that makes a difference with your job. I think that's what makes you a happy adult, makes you someone that feels fulfilled. Uh, so, so that was it really, thinking that it was a job that was going to make a difference and, and have an impact on people's lives in a good way. Um, so that's why I decided to, to be a doctor. What did you enjoy most about being a doctor? So, Yeah, uh, so I think it's always uh, about patients and, and meeting people. You meet so many different people as a doctor and they've got so many uh, stories to tell. Uh, I've met veterans, I've met as you might expect, you look after people who can be quite old and have fantastic memories and experiences that they share with you as, as your patients, as you get to know them. Uh, particularly when you're in the hospital, you're based in the hospital, you're looking after people on the wards, you see them day after day. Uh, so you get to know them uh, a little bit. And actually, uh, in one time in particular, I ended up helping a gentleman uh, who sadly was coming to the end of his life. Um, but really got any friends or family and felt a little bit like his story wouldn't be told so I actually spent some time um, helping write his story and what happened to him in his whole life which was really kind of a fascinating story he was um, evacuated from Eastern Europe during the war and then spent some time in the Middle East and then he'd come over to England an amazing life uh, so you know you get to share that experience in people's stories as a doctor. So what made you become an MP? Well, one of the things that you notice as a doctor is actually um, the reasons why people become unwell, the reasons why they need to go and see their doctor or see a nurse or whoever it might be, can be quite complicated. And, and some of those reasons actually are to do with bigger picture stuff in society. Uh, so some of the common examples might be people uh, having challenges with their mental health, they might be struggling with uh, drink or, or drug issues. Uh, they might just be actually really lonely and socially isolated. You see that a lot as a doctor. You see older people who've got almost nobody around them. Um, and so I was just more and more interested in, well, what's causing that? What's, what's the symptoms 
of these uh, illnesses and problems that, that I see. And so over time, I just felt like I wanted to tackle those root causes. And that's what led me to be interested in politics and do some different types of jobs that I mentioned earlier and then eventually become an MP. What advice would you give to people wanting to be a doctor? Well, you know, I know, I know it was competitive when I did it. And I think it's even more competitive now. So I think if you've got any sense that you want to be a doctor, you know, you've got to work really hard uh, because you need to get really good grades. I think, to be honest, my understanding is that everybody um, that gets in has already got decent grades. So you need to think about what is it that makes you stand out that's going to convince a medical school and the interviewers at the medical school that you're the right person. Uh, as a student, I helped on some medical school interviews so they would get students in for new people applying and so what we're always looking for is uh, where's the commitment and the passion beyond just getting the grades and so if you're interested in that you need to think as, from as young an age as you can get away with really uh, how you how you demonstrate that to people so what I did for example was um, spend some time volunteering at a, a day centre for older people so I would go along uh, on a Wednesday afternoon we got some time off at my school to do things like that uh, and help out the day centre and I was also lucky uh, because my mum was a nurse as I mentioned I did some work experience quite early on so it's these kind of things that make people realise um, that you know you, you have a bigger sense of what it means to be a doctor and then another tip I would say is actually interview practice a lot of the interviews are about getting you to think through moral issues social issues and so actually ask your parents to just talk these kinds of issues through with you on a regular basis so you get comfortable and confident thinking about well what is your opinion on an issue and articulating what you think about something these are going to, kinds of things that will help you in an interview um so how has the local community crew and nantwich been affected by covid19 well it's from my perspective as the mp i've seen it's had a huge impact on people in, in so many different ways of course everybody's had to really knuckle down and, and stay strong in relation to the the staying at home um, and of course that's really, really difficult for some people uh, 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 people that as i mentioned when we were talking about the social challenges that i see as a doctor loneliness is a big part of that for older people and so this has really compounded that for some older people they might live alone but normally they would at least get out of the house and get to meet people on a regular basis through social activities and they couldn't do that anymore that's really difficult if you're a family with young children, teenagers, all stuffed in the house together, you know, families argue, families row, that's, that's the nature of families. And again, normally at least you get some time away from each other. For a long time, people haven't had that. And that's, that's, that's difficult too. The people who have had to carry on going to work to help us all, whether that be the people in the NHS or in the supermarkets or the delivery drivers, so many different jobs people have carried on. Uh, that's also difficult and stressful because people are worried about becoming unwell. Um, they're worried about bringing, if they catch it, bringing it back home to their families. And then, of course, jobs. There's a lot of people who have had real difficulties with their incomes. Either they've been made redundant uh, or they weren't eligible for any of the uh, special schemes that have been introduced. I know people have found that really, really hard. If you're a small business owner, your business hit really hard that's that's stressful so you know just in so many different ways but on the other hand we've seen people do a lot of positive stuff uh, which has at least been been a comfort to see the community come together how has the community been adapting because of coronavirus 
Well, what's just been amazing is the number of people who wanted to help and do something. Uh, I think roughly we've had more people want to do stuff than there are things that we can find them to do, which is a great situation to be in. You know, I know a lot of people are just helping their neighbours just off their own backs and, and myself as the MP or, or the organising that, that Redshift's been doing or the, or the local authority have been doing we haven't even heard about them. They've just cracked on and helped their friends, helped their family, helped their neighbours, and, and they've looked after themselves. And then we've had other people who've not had anyone around them to ask. And so they've come to us, uh, as I said, as the MP, as local charities, all sorts of people they've approached for help. And, and people have pulled together to, to help them. And the, the main thing has been going and getting shopping and uh, prescriptions for people. That's probably the, the bulk of the help that people have needed. But also I've seen other charities uh, that have adapted what they've done to support people. So we have a couple of charities, uh, for example, Hopes and Beams and Wishing Well uh, in Crew. They had people that would come to them for meals and that was part of keeping them stopping them from being socially isolated. And so they've adapted what they do to take their service to them. Uh, take their service to, in people's homes and so they've needed drivers to do that and they've had drivers come forward and help them it's the same with the, the food banks locally they've adapted what they do so that they take their food parcels to people uh, it's just been amazing to see really that all the different things that have been going on and i mustn't forget the uh the, the teams of people that have been making scrubs the uh we've had a group of people doing that locally helping late in another places like gps uh care homes that's fantastic too um so speaking of helping people have you been doing anything to help because of coronavirus the main thing i decided to do was to go back to being a doctor uh, so uh, when I became the MP in December, uh, I decided to take a break from doing that. I, I was always going to go back and do some doctoring because I think it's good for an MP to still know what's going on in the health service by looking after patients. But it was supposed to be when I'd settled down and organised myself as the new MP. But when I saw what was happening in Italy, when I saw, uh, you don't know if you chaps had seen the, the pictures of the healthcare hospitals in Italy, really been overwhelmed and having just way too many patients to look after than they could possibly cope with so we're all i think a bit worried that that might happen here so i wanted to be back ready helping and um, we're very lucky we haven't ended up in that situation here but we could have done and so i thought it was good that i would um, go in and, and just help look after patients on the wards and then my office team have been um, organizing some of the volunteering so we have a team of volunteers and then we get get a request either directly from someone getting in touch with me or from the council of someone that needs some shopping doing usually or a medicine collecting so we have our little group and we just ask them can they help and they this amazing little team that, that go off and and help these people on our behalf what do you like most about being an mp I think uh, it's a bit like being a doctor is the opportunity to make a difference and help people. And, and as an MP, you get to do it in a, a much broader way. All sorts of different things that people come to me uh, with help, needing help, um, whether that be as individuals or a community as a whole. Um, it, it's, it's that privilege really to spend my time doing something that I think is um, going to make a difference for people and, and the challenge of it the challenge is always something that I enjoy in life and being an MP is challenging both from an organizing it the amount of work that has to go on but also just from uh, an intellectual point of view you, you have to weigh up some real difficult decisions questions uh, most people in life 
are used to just having an opinion on something when it, when they happen to want to have an opinion on something something gets raised um family friends they, a topic of discussion comes up and you end up talking about it uh, i have to have an opinion on demand so to speak so i get asked what i think about endless numbers of issues and i have to come to a view on it and decide what do i think and then balance that balancing that against the fact that we have a government that wants to try and get things done and that's important for the country that a government can pull together and get things done and actually uh, talk to young people or try and describe that because that's often seen as a bad thing about politics it's a bad thing that that someone might ask me my personal opinion on something actually I, I give a kind of a weight to what the government wants to do but it's a bit like being a team that you know you need to have a bit of leadership and a team captain mm -hmm. to get things done and if everybody on the team constantly just does what they want you never achieve anything so as an MP I have to always weigh up well when's the time that I need to say well actually hang on a minute no this for me is important I want to have my opinion on it versus when i recognize actually as a team we need to get things done and there are 650 mps so if every single mp demands it's done their way or no way every time we'd never get anything done so that's really a, a, a thinking challenge that that i find interesting have you ever met boris johnson the prime minister yes i've met boris johnson a couple of times as you can imagine when you're a new mp uh, boris wants to start to get to know us and um and, and we want to start to get to know him. Obviously, it's just been a couple of occasions. One of the great things about our system of government in this country is that um, we physically have to go and vote. And the prime minister is voting like everybody else. And we go through these what's called the lobbies. We physically vote together normally. Obviously, we haven't been doing that recently, but we go into that big room together and you can very often find the prime minister or the other people in charge of departments in that physical room so you can go up and speak to them in other systems in other parts of the world you know if you've got the leader of the country or the, the senior people as a person on the back benches so to speak you wouldn't necessarily get to see them or speak to them and um, our system means that they can never get too far away from us so we get that chance to speak to to, to boris and the other people about things that are uh, important to our constituents and it's obviously tricky for them. They've got, as I mentioned, hundreds of MPs that want to have a quick chat with them. So you need to think very carefully about what it is you want to get across, make that important point. And, and so it gets, it's an effective conversation from the point of view of my residents. What would your priorities be for the next 12 months of being an MP? So uh, obviously uh, helping the community to carry on coping with the coronavirus is, is, is going to be probably the main part of my job for the next 12 months. Uh, in some respects, it's more tricky, it's more challenging as we come out of the, the strictest part of lockdown, because the strictest part of lockdown was the simplest part of lockdown. And even then, we still obviously quite reasonably had people not understanding what they could or couldn't do and, and try to help and support them with that. And as we get out of lockdown and the rules change and they might be changing uh, quite frequently we need to make sure people understand and, and get advice and support and again from a jobs point of view um, I think the government's done a good job in helping people many as many people as possible keep their jobs um, but the idea of most of those schemes is that those are jobs that we've kept that were going to be around for the next 12 24 months anyway sadly it's going to be really difficult i do think there will be some people whose jobs ultimately are not going to be the 12 months or 24 months and so um they're going to need help finding other work and other things to do um that's 
that's going to be important. And at the same time, uh, we're quite lucky in crew in that we've just been successful in getting a big part of money to help regenerate crew. And I think that that helps the whole area. You know, the more successful and 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 growing the economy is in the jobs and jobs market is in crew that helps the whole area because a lot of people live live in another part of my constituency and work there and um friends and family might be living in work um, and it's the big kind of economic center of, of the constituency and so that plan that part of money we're still working as a team as myself and some local businesses local charities the councils the whole team of people working to think about how's the best way to spend that money to help crew and obviously it wasn't a simple task anyway and i think again it's been made even more complicated by coronavirus thinking through how's the best way to help the town recover and and then get even better over the next few years and that's the point of that that part of money um, there are always going to be the big picture items that affect the whole area. So health and social care, uh, schools funding, those things are, are always going to be big questions. And again, the government's going to be thinking really hard. It already had plans to spend extra money and it would be for me to try and make sure we get our fair share. Um, that, that, that balance of how much we can afford to spend now is just going to be even more complicated uh, because we've, spent an enormous amount of money over these last few months, a really huge amount of money that that's been borrowed and how we, how we kind of get out of that situation is going to be really, really difficult. Um, so those are probably the, the main things I think are going to be part of my focus. So thank you very much, Kieran, for sparing your time for us to interview you for Turbo Youth and we hope to see you again soon. Bye. Great, thanks for having me guys and good job. Now it is time for The Boys Bake Off, where we will challenge each other to make a recipe and have our families taste it and score it. So I am now going to be interviewing my little brother James Philibon, who you may remember from Podcast 3, who reviewed my fish pie and he's now going to be reviewing my meatballs so james how would you rate the meatballs if five was the best and one was the worst i'll get give it a five and why would you give it a five stars because the meatballs were really nice and the sauce was really nice and that was my favorite part so is it also because meatballs is your favourite meal? Yes. And I think it was you who set the challenge, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, at least he liked it. So yeah. thank you very much, James, for sparing your time. And I can see you're having fun with your, all your toys there. Um, so thank you very much. Hi, so I'm with my mum and I'm asking her how many points out of five she would give me for the taste of my meatballs and pasta in tomato sauce. I'd give you five out of five for the taste of the meatballs. And why is that? They really tasted delicious, especially the tomato sauce. It was really lovely. Thank you. Hey guys, it's Chris Ridge from Air Products here, ready to set your next STEM challenge. I've had great fun setting the ones before and I hope you've had as much fun doing them. Today I'm going to set you the challenge of making a homemade lava lamp without any heat 
but using ingredients that you'll find in the kitchen. Yeah, didn't think it could happen. Do you know what a lava lamp is? If you don't, ask your parents. They may have had one when they were younger. But what you need to do is get a clear drinking glass, a quarter of a cup of vegetable oil, one teaspoon of salt, water and food colouring. So what you're going to do is fill the glass about three quarters full of water. Then add about five drops of food colouring. Red, red looks really good as the lava. Then slowly and slowly pour the vegetable oil into the glass. You'll see how the oil floats to the top. Now the fun part. Sprinkle the salt on top of the oil. You'll watch as blobs of the lava move up and down in the glass. If you enjoyed it, then add a little bit more salt and you'll see the effect going again. Yeah, give it a try. Some pretty cool uh, colours and shapes will be formed and then, then we'll report back next week and see how it went on. Thank you for listening to Turbo Youth with me, Ben Philibon. And, and me, Jonathan Frischer. Send your messages to studio at redshiftonline.org and put Turbo Youth in the subject field. Bye for now. Bye.